This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. We mentioned, of course, earlier that Jeff Bezos stepping down after a long run as CEO of Amazon, and there were no doubt many factors as to why now was the right time for him to make this move, but it seems like the decision was his to make. But when you think about what a CEO's career is like in general, what are the processes that occur and the different stages of that CEO's career? What leads to hiring a particular candidate and what can lead potentially to a person's dismissal? Marius Gensel is an assistant professor of finance at the Wharton School. He co-authored a research paper recently that came out back in last August, which looks at a CEO's career and its life cycle. Marius, great to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So take us into the research paper and what you felt was the importance of doing a paper like this, looking at the life cycle of a CEO's career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So what we do in this paper is we specifically focus on managerial biases and how these biases play a role exactly like you're saying in each of the different career phases, CEO appointment, the CEO being at the helm of the firm and then being dismissed eventually. And the key insight that we have is this idea that in each of these different career phases, they are intimately linked to one of the traditional arguments for why a CEO we would think is rational. Um, so those, those factors would be CEO selection, learning, and um, sort of market discipline. And our contribution is to say that um, it's not clear that these arguments are sufficient um, to prevent biased decision-making at the very top of organizations. But this is part of, of kind of a larger and growing area right now, behavioral corporate finance, correct? That's absolutely correct. Um, and, and in fact, the sort of key contribution of this entire field has been um, sort of to clarify that when we think about behavioral biases and mistakes that people make, that's not something because of, a, let's say, lack of education. But these are mistakes that even the most sophisticated, most you know, educated people make. And so that really speaks to the hardwiring of biases in, in people and that biases are significant elements of human decision making. So let's go, go to the kind of the start, uh, starting part of the process, the selection of the CEO, who becomes CEO and, and how that all plays out. We would traditionally think that, well, these CEOs, these are these, let's say, amazing people. They are highly educated. They are very selective. They are not just a random subgroup of the population. So we would think these are these hyper-rational decision makers. But the researchers argue that that's actually not always the case, that these, let's say, um, um, candidates with, let's say, unfavorable characteristics are sort of filtered out. And instead, the research has shown that the opposite can happen, that biased decision-makers, say overconfident decision-makers, are actually more likely to be appointed to the CEO position. And one way in which that could happen is is if um, managers have different levels of ability, but these levels of ability are not directly observed, Mm. have to be inferred from past performance. And so then the person with the best past performance is appointed to the CEO position. But past performance can happen, and good past performance can happen for a lot of reasons. For example, also, if the person just uh, made some risky moves and implemented some risky strategies, for example, because they're overconfident. 
and that leads to overconfident people eventually being filtered into the top of organizations rather than being filtered out. And when you're talking about that type of action, that can have uh, the potential of a significant negative impact on a company, correct? Absolutely. Um, So when the person is at the helm, obviously they are the key decision maker uh, of the firm. And now we're in this this sort of the second um, area, the second part of the life cycle of the CEO. And with respect to overconfidence in particular, there's sort of, a lot of research that has shown that this can really have bad um, effects on firm's value in a lot of different contexts. And one particular context would be mergers and acquisitions. Mm-hmm. The idea that a CEO overestimates the synergies they can create by acquiring another firm and where, in fact, there's low potential for synergies and the long-term performance of that combined firm then being, being negative relative to if they had just been uh, keeping going on as sort of standalone businesses. So very um, high potential for um, sort of negative value consequences of overconfidence, but also many other biases over, uh, of course, for example, some cost effects or experience effects. Um, this can all have detrimental effects on shareholder value. Uh, what about the the potential issues w- that this bias can play in terms of policy decisions? I mean, it's one thing when you're talking about personnel, but it's another thing when you're talking about the policy side of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, there are obviously a lot of different policies we can think about. Um, so one would be investment decisions in general being distorted because um, – the key decision maker, the, uh, the, the CEO, has just a distorted belief of what they can achieve with the firm. But then there are also other policies that I think are very interesting, which would be um, re- related to sort of um, hiring their peers, hiring sort of the other members of the executive team. If I'm an overconfident CEO, I might prefer uh, someone else, like, a, say like the chief financial officer who has similar viewpoints as me. Uh, uh, that would be called homophily. So this idea of sort of having people next to you that think like you and behave like you, um, that can, in, in fact, sort of um, accelerate or intensify a bad decision-making at the top when we have biased decision-makers. Marius, I, I found it interesting in terms of thinking about the components that could have an impact on, on this process. One of the things you noted, and, and this may be to a degree geographical, uh, is religion a- a- as playing a potential role? Yeah, there's this very interesting uh, uh, literature that has shown that depending on where you live, how you were influenced by you know, the religiosity in your county, and also what religion you personally practice, that that matters how, uh, how risk-averse uh, or how much risk, uh, take, how much risk you take in your firm, how levered your firm is, how risky your investment strategies are, and how that affects sort of, let's say, the, the variance of the firm's returns. Um, and generally, the idea is if you are in a more sort of traditional or conservative area, you tend to make decisions, professional decisions that are also more on the conservative end. So very fascinating uh, research here, the idea that what you personally experience, for example, in terms of your religion, Mm-hmm. and 
how, how that affects your professional decision making. Do you see Absolutely this at times bleeding bleeding over to the boards of boards of directors as well? Yeah, um, that's an interesting um, uh, interesting question. We actually don't have that much research on corporate boards yet. Um, so the bulk of the literature really focuses on the CEO and then sort of spills over into the CEO, CFO, let's say joint decision-making. But I think that's actually a very promising area for, for more research because right. you're absolutely right that biases, like I said, don't just affect one subset of people. So we would absolutely think that also corporate boards are influenced by, by biases, for example, how they evaluate uh, the, the CEOs of their firms. So, so that's really an interesting uh, point for future research. Yeah. So, Marius, about uh, 45 seconds left. Talk, if you can, briefly about the, the, the elements of this when we're talking about the dismissal of a, of a CEO or a manager. Yeah. So ideally, we want to, when we see someone like a CEO is biased and make bad decisions, we want to immediately fire them. But then it's always the question, can we link their performance directly causally to some outcome, or is this just correlation? And that's sort of a big impediment to why we cannot just easily fire biased decision makers, because that question, was it correlation or was it causality, that's really at the heart of this, and this is very difficult to answer. That would be sort of a key aspect I would highlight there. Marius, thanks very much for your time. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Marius Gensel, Assistant Professor of Finance here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.